Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Last words. Last words are powerful. Anyone who's ever lost a loved one knows the significance of last words. See, words that are said in anger can actually haunt your thoughts for many years. But words that are said in love are something that those left behind will cherish forever. If you knew that your time on earth was coming to an end, what words would you want to leave behind for your loved ones? What do you really want them to remember in the end? Just like our words are, are precious and powerful, how much more are the last words of Jesus on the cross before he died? Tonight we're going to reflect on those last words. My prayer is that they'll still be able to minister to us here in 2023 on this Good Friday. Over 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary outside the walls of Jerusalem. This event marked a turning point in the history of all the world. See, we believe that Jesus suffered and died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. The eternal God was slain. The greatest person who ever walked the face of the earth was crucified. Now 20 centuries have passed since that crucifixion day, and yet the Bible account enables us to visualize this event with a great deal of accuracy. The Word of God gives us the facts. For example, we know that it was a, a turbulent Good Friday in the spring. A public execution was taking place. A surging crowd stood by. A recent religious festival had brought thousands and thousands to Jerusalem. As the horrific crucifixion took place, we know that the earth was literally rocked by an earthquake. The sky was even darkened for hours by a supernatural eclipse. There were actually three crosses on Mount Calvary. Guilty and deserving death, there were two thieves hanging beside Jesus, being crucified for their crimes. And yet on the center cross hung the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He, he had committed no crimes, and, and yet we know from Scripture that he was giving his life to purchase our salvation. It's an incredible thing to consider all that he endured during those 18 hours. 
The physical suffering was horrific, but the spiritual war within the hours of darkness is something that you and I cannot fully comprehend. See, the abuse prior to being nailed to the cross was also so brutal between the lashes that tore his flesh and the crown of thorns that was pressed up against his skull. Jesus looked like a mangled and bloody mess. Literal hell was unleashed to vent its fury against the Son of God. And yet in those final moments, Jesus Christ found the strength to share seven last words. We can call them statements. We can call them phrases. Again, while hanging on the cross, he left something behind. I believe that from these last seven words of Jesus, we can draw strength and courage to follow his call to be a disciple today. In fact, the words that Jesus uttered on the cross are, are worthy of special consideration because of who spoke them, because of where they were said, because why, because why they were spoken and what they really mean to us today. These last words are precious because they are the deep expressions of the eternal Son of God in His time of terrible agony on the cross when He literally paid the price for our salvation. Remember, we have four Gospels and four slightly different accounts of the same event. Three of the last words actually come from the Gospel of Luke. One last word comes from Matthew and Mark. It's really the same one. Uh, you'll see that. And three of them come from John's Gospel. But listen, that doesn't take away from what Jesus was trying to say with his last words on the cross. If anything, it helps us to understand things more clearly. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want us to examine those last words and see what we can learn. Number one, Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. You've heard me say it already. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, these last words were spoken at the third hour or 9 a.m. in broad daylight. The crowds were in Jerusalem for Passover, and they had witnessed the bloody crucifixion. Some of them had even shouted, crucify, crucify, and that led to this very day. But right away in the middle of this horrific suffering, the heart of Jesus was focused on others instead of himself. He said, Father, forgive them. And listen for, for a moment and consider, I want you to consider tonight how you would respond if someone were torturing you. There's that, and then there's Jesus. Right here, we, we see the nature of God's unconditional and divine love where we would respond, where you and I would respond in anger and maybe even in defiance. The, the first, last words that come from the mouth of Jesus on that cross is a word of forgiveness. Aren't you glad for forgiveness tonight? Listen, it's not an accident. In fact, it's fitting, it's deliberate. Jesus had preached and taught on love and forgiveness, and here he was hanging on the cross, showing us how it's done. Jesus knew that this day was coming too. This didn't take him by surprise. We know that his mission was to seek and to save uh, that, the lost, and, and the point of the cross was to pay for our sin and to purchase our salvation. 
And here he is modeling forgiveness for us. Listen, in a moment, the, the people watching this take place probably assigned blame to the soldiers that were doing that to him. And, and the disciples would initially say that they, the Romans, crucified Jesus. But some of you, you and I, we know tonight that it would be truer to say that we all crucified Jesus. See, it was, our, it was our sin that caused Jesus to go through with this. And, and so when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that was spoken for all mankind. Again, it was our sin that nailed Jesus to that cross. And every single one of us here tonight is equally guilty, even if we don't know what we're doing. And yet the wonder of this last word from the cross is that there's forgiveness for the disciples who, who they bailed on him. They fled in the night and here he was. He, he predicted this. There was no surprise here. And, and there's forgiveness for the soldiers who nailed him to the cross. Uh, forgiveness for the bitter hearts of his religious enemies. And there's forgiveness for every single person who has ever sinned. Remember, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. This applies to everyone. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 also says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so listen, that same forgiveness that Jesus provides for us, we should be willing to extend it to others. We're talking about last words tonight. Here, words that were spoken over 2,000 years ago. How do these words speak to us tonight? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do are our last words that are still speaking to you and I tonight. And, and I wonder if there is someone in your life, someone who has done you wrong, someone who has crossed the line that you struggle forgiving because of what they said or because of what they did. I want you tonight to think of Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive that soldier. Forgive them. Forgive humanity. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The next last word from Jesus on the cross is number two, Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Say paradise. Listen, on that fateful day in the history of the world, it just so happened that there were two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. And so Jesus wasn't alone. And again, this wasn't an accident. In fact, this was a, a prophecy being fulfilled here from Isaiah 53, where among other predictions, the prophet declared that the coming suffering servant of the Lord was he who was numbered among transgressors. Now, one, one of the criminals squandered his time with Jesus as he hung on the cross next to him, and he was like, if you're, if you're the Christ, then save yourself. But the other criminal had recognized who Jesus was. It's amazing when you recognize who Jesus is. Hallelujah. 
that other criminal. He recognized who Jesus was. He, he admitted that he was a sinner deserving this punishment, but expressed faith in Christ as Savior. And Jesus, in that hour, gave him some life-changing last words. Today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see the grace of God responding to faith. The thief didn't have time to, to go and do some good works. He, he didn't have time to go and get baptized. He, he didn't have time to go and, and serve in some way. And yet Jesus assured the dying man of his forgiveness and eternal salvation. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, say paradise. paradise. You can Listen, you can almost consider this the equivalent of a modern day deathbed salvation. Coming to faith in Christ at the last hour is possible, but don't take any chances. This tells me that nobody is beyond the hope of salvation as long as there's breath in your lungs and, and faith in your heart. I want to pause here. I know that some of you are praying for loved ones. You're praying for sons and daughters and children and grandchildren, those who, who are lost today. They don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but I want to remind you that God is not done yet. If there is still breath in their lungs, there is still hope for salvation even tonight, even today. The thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded immediately. Listen, the word paradise is a Persian word meaning a walled garden. Today you will be with me in paradise. It's a walled garden. And so when a Persian king wanted to give one of his subjects a very special honor, he made him a companion of the garden, and he was, a cho and he was chosen to walk in the royal garden with the king. And so basically, these last words from the cross expressed to the thief, it expressed that God was providing salvation for him in response to simple faith and an honored place of companionship in the garden of heaven. And that should speak volumes to us today. That if you reach out to Jesus, one day we're going to walk in the garden with the King. One day, that intimacy that I hope you are developing today, you are just scratching the surface because there is coming a day when we will be with the Lord in heaven and all of a sudden we will experience that intimacy in such a way that you will be walking with the king in the garden. The next last word from Jesus on the cross is number three, John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Listen, while the crowd mocked and jeered, it's good to know that there were a few present who really cared that this was happening to him. Jesus, uh, he looked down and he saw his mother and several others standing near the cross and also by her side was the disciple John and, and this little group of sympathetic and grieving souls were a striking contrast to the rest of the mocking and jeering crowds. Remember, the disciples of Jesus had deserted him. His friends had forsaken him. 
His nation had rejected him. His enemies cried out for his blood, but his faithful mother and friends stood there sorrowing at the foot of the cross. It's believed that uh, by many that Joseph had died many years earlier. We don't hear about him in later life. And so we know that by doing that, he left Mary as a widow. And Mary's son, Jesus, now has an obligation to provide for her and to honor her in love. Honor your father and mother, right? He knew that. And so he says, woman, here is your son, like I'm about to die, but John will take care of you in every single way, just like I would. And during the Last Supper, it's believed that John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That always makes me laugh. Here John is, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of John. And just to make himself a little covert, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm sure Jesus loved them all. But John feels he has a close or the closest relationship with Jesus. But And listen, being the only disciple at the foot of the cross, I might happen to uh, feel like maybe there's some truth to that. It didn't require a long explanation for John to know what Jesus meant by his words. The Bible says that from, from that hour on, John took Mary into his own house. And so there, there was no if, ands, or buts. He just did it. As I was thinking about these last words, I couldn't help but to think about this awesome family of God that we are a part of because of Jesus. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters out there. We have fathers and mothers in the Lord looking after each other. We like to say that together we're It's all because of Jesus. This last word from Jesus tells us that there's a, a love for you at the cross and it's an amazing love from Jesus and it's to be shared with others. And so, woman, here is your son and son, here is your mother. Jesus made that happen and he still does. The next Last word from Jesus on the cross is number four, Matthew 27 and verse 46. It's the same in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, these last words are the same. Like I said, in both of these gospels, they took place at the sixth hour or around noontime. It is believed that as Jesus was speaking, listen, as Jesus was speaking these last words, a supernatural eclipse literally happened. The Bible says that it all of a sudden became dark for three steady hours. And so in the darkest hours of his suffering, Jesus cried out the opening to Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, although much has been suggested regarding the meaning of this phrase, it's quite apparent that Jesus was literally feeling the agony of separation from God. Remember, Jesus is 100% God, but he is also 100% man. And here we see the father actually turning away from his son as Jesus in that moment was bearing up the full weight of our sin on the cross in that moment. Listen, there's a great deal of emotion in this cry from the heart. 
made with an intensity that was matched only by the darkness that covered the scene for three whole hours, almost like the sun couldn't shine on the crucifixion of its creator. It was dark. In fact, wave after wave of evil swept over his consciousness in in that moment because all the sin of the world, past, present, future, and the awful legacy of the fall of mankind was laid upon Jesus. Listen, the first Adam failed, and it was the the mission of the second Adam to come and to be born in in human form, to to live a perfect sinless life, to one day be wrongly accused, and be hung on a cross for the sin of his people so that you and I could be saved today. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 uh, in the Bible says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember the night before this, Jesus told his disciples that in this hour of trial, they were all going to desert him. Again, this was not a surprise. He knew what was going to happen. And yet, I am not alone, he said, for the Father is with me. And yet now at the climax of his passion, just as a scapegoat of the Old Testament had to be banished into the wilderness, and so Jesus had to bear the sin of the entire world all alone, literally God forsaken on the cross. Never before had he stood alone forsaken by God his father yet although he was forsaken he never ceased to be his father's beloved son for he was carrying out his father's will and purpose this last word from the cross points directly to the hefty price that was paid for our salvation it's something that you and I should never lose sight of as we live for Jesus today the next word the next last word from Jesus on the cross is number five, John chapter 19 and verse 28. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. I'm so glad for Jim. He puts this bottle of water up here and, and sometimes I get to drink it and sometimes I don't and, and I'm thirsty right now, but uh, that's not where my focus is. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And while Jesus was dying on the cross, he developed an agonizing thirst, a thirst that he could not quench and see death by crucifixion. I don't know if you know this, it was the most painful forms of, of torture ever conceived by men. The draining away of the blood from the body brings an intensive thirst and the whole body begins to cry out for water the hours of torture on the cross took a tremendous toll on the body of Jesus execution by crucifixion was not a sudden death like being shot by a firing squad it was a long drawn out lingering death usually carried out underneath the eastern sun His wounded hands and his feet, all of a sudden they would quickly become inflamed and resulting in a fever of thirst and his body would soon be dehydrated. The the prophetic 22nd Psalm, which anticipated our Lord's passion, speaks graphically of his condition in verses 14 and 15 where it says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. 
My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I don't know what a potsherd is in the moment. I'm drawing a blank, but you know what? Have you ever been so thirsty that, man, that puddle of water over there looks really good right now? And some of you are like, Pastor Freddie, that's nasty. That's, I've never been that thirsty before. I've been that thirsty before. I've been that thirsty before. In Matthew 27 and, and Mark 15, Jesus tasted but refused to drink a, a vinegar, gall, and myrrh. This was basically a cheap Roman drink with a drug mixture that was used to dull the senses and alleviate the suffering, and they were offering it to him. And, and here we see Jesus fulfilling another prophecy. He would touch the vinegar, but he would not drink it. And this last word from Jesus is a reminder that the Son of God can relate to, to our needs, needs like thirst, and yet He's our living water. The next last word from Jesus on the cross is number 6, John chapter 19 and verse 30. It is finished. The, the Greek word that was translated finished was teleo. Teleo is in a despairing word here. It's not a despairing word. Jesus isn't saying it's over and done with. I failed. Instead, he's saying my work here is complete. By saying it is finished, Jesus was proclaiming his victory over the evil one in the gigantic struggle between good and evil. The Son of God, the Son of Man had suffered grievously, but now he had finished the work of redemption that his Father had committed to him. Jesus had offered himself without spot or blemish to God. And by that one sacrifice for sin, once and for all, he had done all that was required to reconcile the world unto God. And so in that moment, he said, it is finished. The Greek word for finished was also used in business to indicate that a debt had been paid. It's like the message of a, a rubber stamp bearing the words payment received or, or paid in full, stamped across a bill. And that's what Jesus was proclaiming uh, from the cross with those last word, words. It's paid. Man's account with God has been settled. The debt has been wiped out. Listen, I don't know if some of you have ever paid off a bill that took you a while to pay. There might be a little rejoicing there that all of a sudden you have some money that is now freed up. I remember. I remember heading on vacation one time and, and my wife is all about paying those bills, making sure we're, we're not, you know, under that debt and, and paid off a car. I think that we had two years earlier and, and man, that vacation was a lot sweeter with that paid off, paid in full. That's what Jesus was proclaiming from the cross. Again, it's paid. Paid in full. Listen, these three words were, were packed with meaning for what was finished here was not only Christ's earthly life, not only his suffering and dying, not only the payment for sin and redemption of the world, but the very reason and purpose he came to earth was finished. I love these last words. They inspire and remind me that no matter what I face, Jesus has given us the victory. And because he won, we win. It is finished.
the final and last word from Jesus on the cross is number 7, Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. I'm actually going to ask the worship team to make their way up a little sooner here. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The seventh and last words is one of total surrender to God. Here, Jesus closes with the words of Psalm 31 and verse 5, speaking to the Father, and we get to hear His complete trust in the Father. In fact, Jesus entered death in the same way He lived each day of His life, offering up His life as the perfect sacrifice and placing Himself in the Father's hands. Jesus saw his physical life on earth as a clear mission directed from heaven. He used his life on earth and did not allow himself to be used or manipulated by anything, including the fleshly temptations that he faced. Listen, some of us, we look at Jesus and we think that when we start talking about the attributes or the things that he's modeled for us, that while he's Jesus, of course he's going to do that. But listen, he faced temptation just like you and I. 100% man. 100% God. And this is why in death he entrusted himself to the Father. Remember, the first of the last words from the cross begins with Jesus addressing his Father. Number one was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now he ends by addressing the Father again. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right here, God the Father had accepted the sin offering made by Jesus. Soon his resurrection from the dead would prove that. And Jesus had come from his Father, and to his Father he would return. But first he had to die physically, and so it was that Jesus consciously gave his life. Nobody took it from him. He laid it upon the altar just as the burnt offering of the Old Testament had been offered. And the death of Jesus calls out to us to choose life in the light of eternity. A life of compassion, not resentment. A word of acceptance, not rejection. A heart of forgiveness, not revenge. A life to share and not to hoard. And see, Good Friday gives us the assurance that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. And the death of Jesus is the ultimate expression of divine love. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some people say, well, I, I, I can't go to church. Uh, the, the ceiling might fall down. I, I got to get right. I got to clean myself up. I got to, I got to. No, no, you don't got to. You just got to come. While we were still sinners, he died for us. For this reason, we reflect on the suffering and the sacrifices that Jesus made on that first Good Friday. And right now, we're going to share in communion to connect with God's amazing love through Jesus. I'm going to ask those that I uh, had uh, asked for you to help to serve communion. Go ahead and go to your respective tables. Listen, be kind to them. They're rookies. <laughs> They're rookies. So take one of each. They're going to serve you communion. I encourage you as you get ready to receive, they're going to serve you. And so 
prepare your hearts, amen? Anything to make right with Jesus, make it right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship team, go ahead.